Welcome to the Scholar Spotlight Podcast. For the month of November, we created a special four-part series titled STEM Powered. In this series, we have incredible conversations with four women of color who are working in various STEM fields and highlighting the experiences of some, but certainly not all women who are doing some phenomenal work. Our aim is that our audience will get a taste of some of the challenges they have had to navigate because of their social identities. Each pod will feature a new speaker who will touch upon at least one central theme to this series, advocacy, visibility, diversity, and belonging. Ultimately, we hope that these conversations will inspire our scholars, specifically the next generation of young women interested in STEM-related fields. For our first episode, I had the chance to speak with Jakarta Varnado, who currently serves as an instructional coach and education coordinator at NASA. We talked about some barriers she has faced as a woman of color in predominantly white spaces, her passion for STEM education advocacy, and some advice she has for our scholars as they begin to think about pursuing STEM-related fields. As always, remember to like, subscribe, and rate the Scholar Spotlight podcast on all platforms, and follow us at Delaware College Scholars. Hope you all enjoy. Hey, Mr. Carter, thank you for, um, for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, well, yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. As a teacher, case manager, instructional coach, and now researcher, you have held numerous hats. What are some of the barriers you have faced in your journey, particularly as a woman of color? And what did you learn about yourself through those experiences? So I will say um, the barriers that I faced are probably the barriers that many women in STEM face just in general. Um, and it's just because STEM is, is definitely a male dominated world, but specifically as a woman of color. So now I have the intersectionality of being a woman and being a minority and being in a male dominated, mostly white male dominated field. So some of the things that I face on, um, throughout my journey are the, the, just people being aware of different experiences. So we all see things through the lens of which we experience life. And sometimes when our experiences don't match someone else's, it takes another level of communication to say, hey, I understand that this is how you learned in school, but this is not how I learned it. And this is not how, you know, I work best. And this is not the systems that work best for me. So I would say a continuous education of there are different view types. There are diverse viewpoints. There are diverse experiences. And when we talk about STEM, we need to be open to hearing everyone's experience. So you've always been concerned about people, hence your social work degree. And now a major focus of yours is advocating for more minorities to enter STEM. Can you talk to me about how those two interests, your love for people and STEM advocacy merged in your work? So people won't believe this, but I actually became a social worker after I became a teacher. And one of the reasons I became a social worker was because I started my STEM path early. I loved math and science from an early age. I wanted to be a doctor. I got to college and I knew I was going to medical school. And then I had kids. And after so many, I said, okay, let's rethink this whole medical school thing. You know, 36 hour rotations, two little babies at home. Don't know if that's going to work. So I shifted my path and I decided to become um, a teacher or to get a teaching degree. i I initially did not want to teach, um, and I started going and volunteering into my children's school. So when they were in early childhood, I would go into their classroom. I was a room parent. 
when I got my teaching degree, my actual student teaching assignment was at my son's school. This was an all boys charter school in a low income area. Um, it was their first year and I taught science and I was like, okay, I have this. I know I have this. And I got in there and I had the science and I knew nothing else. I knew nothing else about the, the, the things that these kids dealt with when they left school, how they came to school with different things that they had to manage just to be able to learn. Mm -hmm. So I decided for myself to go back and learn some more things about just, you know, the social system in itself. Well, as I became a social worker, I, I that's when I realized that everyone's experience was not like my experience. Everyone did not have teachers who taught them in a way that was best for them. So I started to advocate for how do we change the way we teach them? Because standing at the front of the board and lecturing and asking kids to take notes is not how everyone learns. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So as I be started to implement these things in my classroom, becoming more hands-on, making it more relatable to their experiences, asking them to talk about their life experience, you'd be surprised how creative these young kids were, the boys who couldn't sit still, who didn't want to learn about physics. But when I said, hey, you play football, you do physics every day. And I showed them how physics applies on the football field. And now I have kids who went on to be doctors because I could show them how this relates to what you're already doing. Wow. Wow. I mean, look, I was one of those kids, you know, I was yes. in your class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's full circle. So talk to me about um, how do you ensure, and we're kind of pivoting a little bit, but how do you ensure that you are seen, that your opinions are heard, and that you were taken seriously and respected in your professional roles in predominantly white spaces. So again, that's more about education. So the two go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of giving grace and understanding and saying, hey, this person may not realize that, that they're even doing these things. So one of the things that I would say is, especially as a black woman that I face in many STEM fields and many STEM arenas is the constant questioning of, are you qualified? Do you really know what you're talking about? Um, it was one of the things that, you know, as people hear, oh, you're a teacher. Oh, you don't really know STEM, you know, you know, teaching. Mm -hmm. And I get that, you know, they think that all teachers go to school to be teachers, but a lot of teachers, especially now became through teachers through alternative certification, which means that they were in a field, a professional field before they became a teacher. They are knowledgeable in that field and they decided to teach. It doesn't mean that they don't know what they're talking about. It just means that I did it a different way. Mm -hmm. So just constantly reminding people that just the area or the, the position that you see me in now is not where I've always been. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. don't discredit people based on where they are now in life. You don't know what their journey was. It's a great point. It's a great point. Extending grace, I think is really important. So over 60% of our scholars are interested in STEM related fields, either as majors in college or careers. What's one piece of advice you would give them, specifically our young women, as they begin to venture into these spaces? So number one rule is be confident in who you are. Um, so knowing, again, that you're going to be questioned at every turning point, every time you say something, people are going to question, how do you know? Are you sure? Are you the most knowledgeable about this? So knowing who you are, backing it up with facts and data. That's number one, because this uh, STEM field is heavily reliant on data. They don't care about your experiences a lot of the times. If you cannot prove it with data and numbers, facts and figures, 
So having the information, but also finding people who will support you in your journey. And I say that early on. Um, when I went to college, there were people who were rooting for me to complete it. When I left college and decided to be a teacher, there were people who were supported me. Um, finding people who've been through the journey already so that they can encourage you along the way. And also knowing your why. Because if you're getting into STEM because you've heard doctors make a lot of money, that's not going to keep you there. You know, you have to do something that's meaningful to you. If you want to make a difference in the world, STEM is definitely the place to do it. But you have to feel that connection to why you're doing this. And it can't be about the money. Wow, that is powerful. And I think a lot of our scholars yeah, need to hear that. We have a lot of kids who say, yeah, I want to be a doctor. And then when you push them a little bit on it, they're like, uh, yeah, my mom said that this would be something I should do. Or, you know, so um, knowing your why is really important. Um, so although African-Americans, Hispanics, and indigenous people collectively make up 31% of the population of the U.S., they receive only 21% of science and engineering bachelor's degrees and hold only 11% of the science and engineering occupations. What do you think the problem is? And two, what do you believe can be done to encourage more women in general and minorities to enter into STEM-related educational tracks and careers? So I think this is actually a twofold problem. I think it is both academic, academic and societal. So on the academic level, we have to look at how we're preparing kids for STEM. And one of the things we've already figured out is Algebra 1 is that, that gateway course. If you do well in Algebra 1, then we know that you can be successful in STEM later in life. But it doesn't just stop at Algebra 1. When we talk about high school level classes, we have to push kids to take those hard classes. Don't take the easy, you know, I'm going to do wrestling four years as my elective. Take the physics, take the chemistry, take the AP courses that are going to get you that college credit. Because when you get to college and you decide that you want to major in STEM, the first two years are weed out courses, as we call them. They're the courses to see, do you have the stamina to get through this? They're just theory and knowledge and, and working the theory and the knowledge and the problems. You don't get to application until your junior or senior year. So if you have not had that academic preparation, it's going to be really hard to get through college and kind of fluff through it. You know, mm -hmm. you can't write mm -hmm. a paper the night. You can't do a lab the night before. Yeah. This is something that you should be working on throughout the time so that you can write up that lab report. And then I think one of the reasons that we actually lose uh, minorities and women is because when we get to the STEM professions, it's not meaningful to them. You know, it has to be something that they can relate to. Mm -hmm. Sitting in a cubicle behind a computer, that's not what they thought about when they thought about STEM. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things that I found while I've done my research is that um, minorities are actually overrepresented in STEM jobs that are middle skilled. So when you think about your technical jobs, welders, uh, medical nurses, CNA, we actually are overrepresented in those fields mm -hmm. where we have that daily interaction, that daily meaningful communication about why I'm making a difference. And sometimes when you're in fields like engineering or computer tech, you don't get that connection because you're doing more of the technical, uh, theoretical side of it. So being able to make that career connection to how this can change your community. If I'm an environmental scientist and my community has a lot of air pollution, I can change my community and make an impact on my community by getting into this field. So again, it's that communication of this is why it's meaningful to me. This is my why. I think a lot of 
our scholars may not be exposed additionally to those sort of career paths within sort of, you know, you have the umbrella of doctor, you have the umbrella of engineer, but they don't necessarily see all the different tracks and opportunities, Absolutely. you know, so that's important. And I'll give you a funny story about that. When I was in elementary school, I just mm -hmm. knew I wanted to be a pediatrician because people say, oh, you do math and science. You like kids. You should be a doctor. <laughs> okay. Well, the doctor that works with kids is a pediatrician until I shadowed a pediatrician and all day they do the same thing. They ask you the same few questions. And I'm like, okay, when do you get something exciting? And they're like, this is my day. You know, this this is it. And it's like, well, this is boring. <laughs> but again, because I didn't know my why at the time. Mm. All I knew was I wanted to be a doctor. I like math and science. I like kids. These things go together. So you are absolutely right. That exposure to those future careers and what that really means is highly important. That makes sense. That makes sense. And you're great podcast there because you lead me right into the next question that I had. So we're coming towards the end of our time, but we have a ring the bell segment. Essentially, essentially we ask the same two questions to every guest. So once one piece of advice you get, you would give to your 16 year old self and then what's your why? Okay. So if I were giving advice to my 16 year old self, it would be don't put limits on yourself. Don't put yourself in a box. Don't say what you can and can't do because the world is your oyster. The sky is not the limit. We put people on the moon. So don't put yourself into, I've never done this. I don't know about this. Nobody I know has done this. Be the first. Be the trendsetter. Be the trailblazer. And then my why, as always, I'm a mother of seven. So as I look at um, children of color and underrepresented populations, I always see this could be my child. So I always treated my students in my classroom as this is my child. What would I want a teacher to do for my child? And that's my why. So I want to see kids of color in the positions and places that we never thought we could reach. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. This was really insightful. And I think a lot of people are going to gain um, just from your words and wisdom that you imparted. So thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm.